Everyone, welcome to the 62nd episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson, and here with me is Brian Gottlieb, and your screen name today is Merit Lage. Why? I have been playing a ton of Turbo Depths and Legacy. I, I don't know why. I just like picked it up out of the blue, and I actually completely love the deck, so I'm feeling very Merit Lagey today. And so when, next time I play this live, I have to make sure I have the best Merit Lage token of all time to uh, yeah, the foil enforce one. my victories. I, I don't have any of them. I need to acquire one immediately. Because I'm in love with this deck. I want to I want to play Turbo Decks. I've, I've actually been just grinding it on Moto. I've kind of set this challenge for myself where I want to win enough to buy lands. Because I also said to myself, I want to learn lands. There's some overlap there. So I've just been jamming Turbo Decks games all the time. Deck's great. Ton of play to it. I highly recommend it if you're looking for a legacy deck right now. So a couple things. I was actually just about to mail you some stuff today. I just I literally just printed out a label with your address on it. So I'll include a token just for you. Nice, nice. And I'm I'm glad that we had this podcast before I was supposed to actually mail stuff out this morning. And uh, you know, just me being rewarded for being lazy, basically. Yeah, and me too. So I'm all for your laziness as well. The, we, we were talking a little bit before the cast about like the Hunter Burton Memorial, which is the event that I'm going to this weekend. No GP Memphis for me, but I'm doing some promotional stuff for them. I'm uh, going to be doing some gunslinging and some uh, deck techs and stuff like that at Madness Comics and Games in Dallas this weekend. So if you're in the area, definitely check that out. We we're talking about Legacy a little bit, and I said that the blue-red deck was one of the decks that I was going to be spellsling with. And the other one is actually Turbo Depths. Oh, nice. Yeah, those are the two decks I've played this week. I played a local tournament with Blue Red. Got absolutely thrashed. I ran into a lot of bad matchups. Interesting deck. I think it probably needs some some tweaks and some innovation. Maybe you can bring those to the table. But Turbo Depths is just awesome. I, I really like that deck. I think you're really going to like it too. It really rewards good game planning, You know, playing to your outs, playing around your opponent's outs. A lot more play to it than I expected. I'm so stupid, though. Those decks make me feel really dumb. These decks are the only time I feel like I'm good at magic because like the turn to turn basic gameplay I'm horrible at. But if you need me to plan like 10 turns in advance and, and plan around what I know my opponent has in their hands for, you know, this backdoor win, I'm very good at that. That's like my skill set. So Dude, I'm into this deck. With, with us, with our powers combined, you know? Right. We'd be a really good magic player. I always like think back to the Dark Depths days and wonder like how I ever won a match with that deck because I do think that I'm actually just bad at it. You're probably overstating your badness, I, I will say. But I mean, in comparison to what you play now, I agree that it doesn't seem to quite comport with your play style, yet it's a deck you had tons of success with. So Yeah, I don't know. It's I kind of better. It was way better than everything else in the format, right? And you usually had the best version of the deck most weeks. So uh, I usually made them worse. I, I should have <laughs> I still I still maintain that like the original list that I won a PTQ with, I should have just probably kept playing and never changed it because I did make it worse. Interesting. Do you think you've evolved out of that where you just like over tweak things to the point where you're actually just, you know, I'm trying, not making I'm, them better anymore? Yeah, I'm trying to like I'm part of the whole like me trying to do better at Pro Tours thing. Like that was part of the problem. Hmm. That's a tough problem to evaluate because, you know, you, you certainly have been rewarded many times for kind of finding innovations and finding sweet cards and and good tech. But look, I, I just registered an Azores Gateway in my Tron list last week. I am very much capable of falling victim to the fancy card, fancy play type syndrome. So I'm with you. It's definitely still something I need to work out of my game too. I think before I used to identify what was potentially good, but also just very, very cute and likely not to be good. And then I would just roll with it anyway. And now I just, I, I have like the restraint. I can stop myself. That's good. I, I think I when I registered the Azores Gateway, I literally had that internal conversation with myself. Like, this card's probably nowhere near as good as you think it is. There's a much cleaner answer to do what you want to do, but it's kind of sweet, so register it anyway. Yeah. Um, you think <laughs> I would have grown out of that, but it still rears its head from time to time. You would think so. Anyway, oh man, this, this might actually work because I think that... Uh, so the first part, majority of the podcast, is definitely going to be about standard. There's uh, GP Memphis this weekend and... Uh, we've had a lot of questions about, you know, what is actually good in standard. People are like actually playing in PPTQs and everything like standard is definitely like a very relevant format right now. And people are just like, what the hell's going on? And I think that 
one of the things that is going on is that people are playing just like a lot of cutesy stuff just because they can. There's definitely some of that. A, a lot of decks that, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think they have a long-term place in the metagame, but they're catching people off guard and getting results that way. I do think there is kind of some themes of standard though, and some overarching concepts you can take away. And I think the PTQ, the Moto PTQ from this past week actually told a very specific story. So, so maybe I'll get your take on kind of where you see the format first. And I'll tell you what I took away from the Moto PTQ after that. It seems like red based aggro decks are just far and away the best thing you can be doing in the format. And I think that there was a period where Decks like, you know, Grixis Energy were just playing all the good cards and people were like, oh man, like these are just the best decks by far. But like people forget about Mono Red and Red Black and stuff like that. And they focus too much on Grixis and Black Green and like these decks that are just ultimately pretty bad. So you see like these control decks popping up, Hidden Stockpile, the Ramp decks. And like, I don't think that individually uh, these decks are necessarily bad or anything, but they certainly are not respecting the Red decks nearly enough. So I agree with half of your conclusion. I disagree with the other half of it. So let, let me tell you the way I see things right now. Hit me. The first, the first part I agree with, red is by far and away uh, the best deck. Either red, splash, you know, black, or just straight red. They're kind of like two sides of the same coin. Depending on the metagame, one is probably better than the other for each week, but it's really hard to spot kind of which one you want to be on. I will say, though, I, I'm not surprised that the black splash won this particular ptq because i i think the actual story going on here and maybe i'm a little biased because i want to affirm the choice i made into this ptq i think there's a kind of a control renaissance happening right now and a crucial part of the puzzle is that i think the blue black deck might be favored against red at this point now i'm talking just stock red a bunch of mountains, hazarettes, no black splash, no scrap heap scroungers recurring from the graveyard, uh, a little bit lower number of rekindling phoenix, but kind of like the stock mono red deck is probably a favorable matchup for blue black at this point. And I think you saw that play out throughout this PTQ. If I had to guess the most played, the most two played decks in this tournament, I would guess that red was number one and I'm kind of taking in, you know, red derivatives, red, black, things like that. But I think the number two most played deck, just based on the kind of the buzz and what everyone was talking about would be a Sultai list. And one that was like the blue, black, kind of Logan Nettles deck, splashing green for Veraska, which had kind of risen to popularity. I know Brad Nelson was talking a lot about it last week. And just the general vibe I was getting from people was that they were really into this deck. I played it a couple times in the PTQ. So I think blue-black control kind of fell into the sweet spot where the red matchup had improved to the point where it was very viable against red. And it was preying on these kind of mid-rangey, mopey decks that were, you know, playing one spell a turn. Now your deck is loaded with four Essence Scatters, four Disallows, and blue-black was able to kind of reclaim some of the metagame it had lost. If you, if you look, the second place list, straight blue-black list, you know, not that far off from what you were playing at Worlds. There's certainly a couple new cards. Arch, Arch of Arazaka. Is that how you say that? Orozka? Orozka? Yeah, that showed up as a one of. And kind of a really important card, I think, is Moment of Craving. That did a lot to turn the matchup into Blue Black's favor. So so I want to hear your take. What do you think of the fact that I'm seeing a home for Blue Black in the metagame now? I think it can start to gain some metagame percentage and, and start making its presence felt. No, I definitely agree with that. I, I think Blue Black did gain a lot, both by... Uh, the red deck losing Ferocidon and Ramonep Ruins, but also Moment of Craving and Golden Demise out of the sideboard are just like yes. really fantastic options against Mono Red. And uh, Todd Stevens also won the Classic this weekend, the Standard Classic. Yeah, with, completely with unsurprised. I, I chose I chose to play Blue Black. I literally I was I was planning to play Sultai, a list more towards the green side of things, just the kind of Jade Light Ranger Merfolk Branch Walker deck I've been working on for a while, which I still am having really positive results with. Um, but just kind of like 30 minutes before the PTQ, I was playing some games with my brother and I was like, you know what? I'm looking at blue blacklist and I really think they might be favored versus red. And my brother was playing red in the PTQ. So we played a bunch of games, both pre and post board, and I kind of smashed him. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I have this completely mapped out yet, but if this matchup has turned positive um, and it makes sense to me that this deck could certainly prey on the mid-range decks, maybe blue black is the correct choice for this tournament. And I kind of mashed together a deck list real quick. And played it. It felt great. Um, I played a little poorly. I timed out in a match. Big surprise. Ew. Yeah, I think it was a really good choice for this tournament. And I'm not surprised it had a really good weekend. Yeah, man, I, I do think it's good. Like, I, 
I did not necessarily think that it was like as big of a favorite against red as maybe you thought it was. But like looking at this second place deck, there's only three contempts. There's two Supreme Wills on top of the four Disallows and like yeah. an Insidious Will pull from tomorrow, just like a bunch of nonsense for the most part. Six win conditions. It, it does look like he's a little light on ways to actually interact and deal with the red decks favorably, but Essence Scatter is just a hell of a card. Yeah, it really is. And, and I also like, I want to point to the adaptation of Contraband Kingpin over something like uh, Gifted Aetherborn. Contraband Kingpin is now so much better than Gifted Aetherborn. There is a point where I, I'm not sure that was true, but I, I would much rather have Contraband Kingpin in my deck. Every time I play uh, Gifted Aetherborn against their mono red deck, it's just like, oh, I gave them a target for their removal. Like their, their braids are on now. This was a completely worthless card. I gave up um, my two drop slot and I'm getting absolutely pounded for doing so. So I'm a big fan of the Contraband Kingpin adaptation here. Yeah, I, I don't know if I actually like the Kingpin or not. Like, it it seems like it, you know, there's no Rampaging Ferocidon, which was, like, the thing that really just embarrassed it before. Right. But if if they have, like, Direfully Daredevil out of the sideboard, it's just, like, it, it gives them, like, a really easy way to just remove it, which I don't necessarily like. So I think I would rather just go up to, like, four Moment of Craving and two or three Golden Demise just so you don't lose to, like, their very quick go-wide starts. And then okay. I think that's that's basically all you need. I'd be interested in trying that strategy. I, I think it has merit, you know, just leave their stuff completely dead and really exploit them that way. That makes sense. I would have to try it though. A moment of Craving was great for me. It's really a game changer. And I also had a Golden Demise on my sideboard as well as uh, Yehenny's Expertise. Yehenny's Expertise, I think is just bad. Keep trying to make that card work and it's just not good enough. But if I was going forward, I'd probably just play two Golden Demise and really blunt their go-wide starts that they're capable of having. Yeah, Expertise is tough because... There's not a whole lot of things at three toughness that you really want to kill, and you're not really capitalizing on it with the with the blue black deck. Exactly. There's really no payoff for the free spell, and and you're certainly paying a cost for that. So for the time being, I'd I'd be looking towards Golden Demise as my quote unquote sweeper. I may even get talked into a Bonti's Last Reckoning. As much as I hate that card, it's just nice having that you know cleanup. If you face any weirdo decks, there, there's still like some green black floating around. I don't know why. I, I think the deck's horrible, but it's out there. You will face it every now and then. So having access access to a Bantus could be beneficial to you. Yeah. So I was looking at like these various ramp decks and like you were, you were messing around with it. Sam Black 5-0 to league with it. Buddy of mine, uh, Nathan Zamora was also like playing around with it and stuff. So I was kind of like trying to figure out different ways to build that deck, but it's possible that blue black control just like trumps it. I think so. Uh, disallows in a really good spot right now. And that's kind of what, blue black control has been waiting for if you ask me it, it really needed if this allows to be turned back on even something like i think there's an uptick in the tokens deck right now the black white tokens deck yeah I, I, and people really see that as a unfavorable matchup for blue black and i agree it is unfavorable but it's not as bad as people say like they're pretty much consigned to playing one spell a turn and if your answers just line up okay and you play some kind of broad catch-alls you know consigned to oblivion you can play at rivers rebuke it's it's not that hard to turn the matchup in your favor yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And Todd Stevens beat uh, Hidden Stockpile in the finals of the Classic. I guess maybe maybe they maybe they didn't actually play the match. Maybe there was like a prize split concession thing going on, but mm. I don't know. But yeah, it, it is beatable. Like game one is just so bad for you generally, but post-board, you know, you generally have a lot more ways to interact with them and additional threats and stuff like that. It gets a lot easier. Right, agreed. So level zero is playing red. Yes. Blue black, blue black is kind of the meta game choice right now. I guess. What What do you think about these Grixis lists? Huh. I think I'm just not convinced that Grixis is is doing anything I want access to. People kind of keep raving about it. I haven't played a ton with the Grixis list, to be honest with you. So maybe I'm letting, maybe I'm showing a blind spot here. If I want to play mid range, I'm going to play Soltai, and maybe that's just I. I feel like I know the deck. I feel like I've put work into it and, and getting card selections correct. Ooh, I I I meant Grixis control. Oh, Grixis Control. Okay. okay. Yeah, like the the one just like splashing Magma Spray and Harness Light. You're basically blue-red splashing Contempt. Right. I, Magma Spray cleans up a lot of problems for you, especially, I mean, if you want to talk about like the next level, if red adapts black so it can get back to favorable against blue-black, because I think it would be if it adapted, you know, Scrap Heap Scroungers, it certainly improves the matchup a lot. Then the next move is to add red to your deck and play Grixis as opposed to blue-black, and then you have access to Magma Spray again and are able to clean up those problems much more efficiently. The deck that won the PTQ does have four Scrap Heaps. Yep. 
only 10 black, which is like kind of awkward. But I mean, that's also what the contraband kingpins are doing too. It's just like, it just blocks that thing for days. That's true. Yeah. That's an, another, another good answer there. I like the idea of Grixis control. It's just that the mana is so bad. Like a lot of these mana bases are kind of fooling themselves, right? It's it's kind of this deck in particular is, is splashing for Vraska's Contempt. We've talked about splashing for two color cards in the context of like the green cards, like Jade Light Ranger. And you certainly know how problematic it is. This this game loses it to his mana base a non-zero number of times, without a doubt. So Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know if I want to go down that road. I think I'd rather just identify, oh, control as a macro archetypes in a good place right now. I want my deck to be as consistent as possible. And the version that's consistent right now is blue black. So that's where I'm leaning for the time being until there really presents, you know, some kind of pressing issue that forces me off blue black. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Some, some of these lists too, it's like 25 lands, six cycle lands. Uh, this, this person has 26 land with seven cycle lands. It's like, okay, they're just super light on, mana sources and very high on color requirements mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i mean there's been a lot of greed in this format that's been one of the the hallmarks of it i think and you know i tend to shy away from the greed i'm not really comfortable asking that much of my mana base it could certainly be a fault of mine in this format i mean maybe the key is in greed and just getting access to the most powerful things possible and that's really how you get an edge i find that hard to believe i'm a big fan of consistency over over greed especially in constructed where i think there's some room for play and some room to leverage skill so i I don't know i I need to put some time in with these greedy decks and just really get a sense of how they're succeeding but it seems just like they're banking on having the most powerful cards in the format right like your glory bringer mixed with your vraska's contempt is going to bail you out in a lot of spots even though the mana is atrocious um you know if you have to play it on turn six glory bringer is still a really good card so i think they're getting away with that a large percentage of the time yeah that's definitely true i I really do hate just like all your lands et being tapped and everything but what are you gonna do no agree Agree. And those mana bases are, this format is not designed for, for those mana bases, essentially. It's, it's very difficult to do them successfully. You have to show some restraint, restraint in your card selection. Um, that's how you really succeed with those lists, I think. So dust off your Nezahal Primal Tide. Uh, I had one. I had one in my sideboard. I didn't get to play it. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm sure it's a trump in the mirror. How could it not be, right? It's like designed to do that, so... Yeah, and then uh, Oaf McNamara got 16th place in the PTQ, and he played two uh, Ipnu Rivulets with a couple extra cycling deserts, which I really like. So that probably gave him a huge edge in control mirrors in game one. Yep, just mill him out. That's definitely going to get the job done a lot of the time. So so good approach. Way to be prepared. I mean, that's kind of a, a really tough call, I think, to make. I, I don't think there's a lot of buzz going into this PTQ around blue-black, um, and he seemed very prepared for it. So good for him. I tend to kind of like play the the moto stocks a little bit i like when i saw that torrential gear hulk was like floating around 10 tickets or whatever i bought up to four of them Mm. you know i think i had two so i bought two more and yeah just like whenever stuff like that happens it's like ah, i should probably buy these you know just to like complete my set of standard and uh it's possible that things circle around and like blue black becomes good again and yeah just i guess it happened where i didn't really think about the the blue black versus red matchup and how things are probably a lot better for it now. But yeah, like it blue black does strike me as a thing that as long as you have some amount of sweepers, like I'm a little bit worried about like the, the white kind of like tokeny decks, not necessarily hidden stockpile, but like vampires and white green. And mm. uh, to some degree, like the hex proof deck, like those are decks that I've been playing with. Right. Uh, we can, I mean, we could transition to that a little bit. A, a good friend of mine actually previously referred to as dredge guy on this podcast, finished 12th in the PTQ uh, with a white green tokens list, I call it tokens. It's kind of got a small tokens package, but it's Adanto Vanguard, Adorn Pouncer, Branchwalker, Jade Light Ranger, and then four Hawatli. This is this yeah. is the birth of Hawatli into the format. Did you see this deck? What do you do? You have any thoughts on it? Uh, this is pretty close to what I've been playing. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, the differences are I had slightly more Sacred Cats, no Sun Scorch Champions, and slightly fewer Hwatleys, and I just had a bunch of uh, Regal Caracals main deck. Okay. And have you found success with this list? Yeah. No, I, I 4 won a couple leagues with White-Green. I'm currently 4-0 in a league with uh, the Blue-White Hexproof deck. 
Yeah, this deck is interesting. I mean, my friend said it just kind of lines up really well against everything. It doesn't feel like anyone has any efficient answers for what you're trying to do. And you're able to play these really grindy games. And then sometimes Watley just gets them. Like it goes off and wins the game on the spot when it's played, which is a a nice feature for your green, white, derpy aggro deck to have. Yeah, for sure. And if... If you get swept a bunch, then these sorts of decks are going to end up looking pretty bad, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think that that's not really a place where the format is right now. And if you're if you're getting swept by like, you know, big red or whatever, it generally doesn't matter because you have so many different ways to rebuild. But like when you're when you're getting swept by like blue black control and you can feel the game just like slipping away, like their deck is going to start doing more powerful things as the longer the game goes on, like then it's pretty tough. Right. Right. Very good point. And I think, you know, against Scarab God in general, like Scarab God, sweeper into Scarab God is a very problematic thing for these decks to overcome. Yeah. And a lot of what these white decks are trying to do is not necessarily remove like the rekindling phoenixes or whatever. You just attack around it. So something like Scarab God is actually just a big problem. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not not a lot of removal in these decks. No, no, not at all. I mean, the list we're talking about now had one cast out. I think that's about it. And uh, some Thopter arrests in the sideboard. I think Ixalan's Binding is a, a really underplayed card in the format. And it kind of makes me sad because it's the answer to a lot of things that a lot of decks are looking for. I get wanting to have the cast out here and having the flexibility. I would be inclined to play some number of Ixalan's Binding in this deck. And it's possible with no reps, I just don't understand this deck well enough. But it just seems to me like Ixalan's Binding is cleaning up a lot of problems that you could otherwise run into. Yeah, and I think that just makes it better as a sideboard card because game one, you you are very much doing this thing where you just build a board and attack around whatever they have. And like they don't have any real way to interact with you either. Like you're gonna make six creatures slash tokens and they're they're gonna have like magma spray or whatever, and it's just not really gonna be very effective against you. So like you kind of do th- your thing, they do their thing, and these decks just line up well against the majority of what like the red decks are doing. Yeah. Obviously, you have to stabilize, you know, you have to not like get beaten down and burned out, which can be a problem sometimes. But yeah, I could see wanting some more sacred cats to that effect. You don't block particularly well in this deck, right? Like the only real good blocker is kind of a Doran Pouncer in some spots and in other spots, he's also pretty bad. So I I could see it being a challenge to stabilize. You're just chumping a lot, right? So if your deck doesn't yield the things you need, you're going to fall behind real quickly. Right, you're just trying to chomp and set up lethal with uh, Shepet Dunes or any of the pump spells, Appeal to Authority or Huali. Right. Are you finding that people are starting to play around Appeal to Authority? I, I think it's a card that, like, the first time it got me, I was like, oh, I forgot about this card. And now, at this point, it's like, okay, this is part of the metagame. I'm always conscious of it. But a couple times, it was like, I was not prepared for Appeal whatsoever. It's it's so hard to play around, though, it because you, you, you lead with, like, a Legion's Landing and then play, like, a Servo Expedition and then you just like keep nickel and diming them and either they start spending their spot removal stuff to kill your tokens, which I think they should basically just do immediately, or they try and keep mana open the entire time. And like the interaction is just so bad. Yeah. Like people trying to cast Fresca's Contempt against this deck, they just get punished all the time because you're like, okay, I'm just going to play like this bad card basically. And then what are you going to do? Right. And But there's this awkward tension in the fact that they have threats like Adorn Pouncer and Adanto Vanguard that you really like you need to be able to clean up, right? Like they present problems for a deck that can't uh, deal with both, you know, the indestructibility and the eternalized aspects of those cards. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting spot where removal is very difficult to choose right now. And I actually think the best removal in the format is the white removal, but no decks really want white removal, which is awkward. You know, maybe that's why a deck like black white has found some success and and look i'm not trying to push that deck on anyone i i played it for a while and you know had my fun recognized its weaknesses but it is putting up some results now and i think the archetype has, has been refined a little bit if it's succeeding on any axis it's because it does have access to really powerful removal yeah but i i think outside of Ixalan's binding like the good removal are is just the black cards like fatal push moment of craving Braska's contempt so this is just kind of a segue also not or like an aside, I guess, where I think the like what you should do with your white black deck is merge it with the black green ramp decks. Basically, just like play black splashing hour of promise approach in Ixalan's binding. Maybe profane procession too. Hmm. 
That's an interesting take on things. I could see that being successful. The deck's certainly mana hungry and, and benefits from having a ton of lands in play. And, you know, Hour of Promise is being used as a really nice stopgap right now. It's it's doing what it used to do in the old ramp decks where it's really maximizing the zombies and, and buying time with them. So that's a cool little thing for a deck that has access to a spell like, you know, Profane Procession, which really needs to get its mana online and use that to clean up the game. Yeah, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me, like, why these white-black decks would exist and why these black-green pseudo-ramp decks exist. And, like, the white-black deck is playing Approach and, like, the black-green deck isn't. Yeah, the, the black-green deck is weird to me. I'm, I'm not really sure where it's making its bread and butter. Like I said, I, I think that having access to all the best removal in the format, a card that we didn't mention is Baffling End, which I think, you know, I talked about Adanto Vanguard and Adorn Pouncer. That card obviously yeah. lines up very well um, and is a card that pretty much only the black-white decks are playing at this point. So I, I think that's an, a neat little pickup they get. Yeah, there's a lot of evolution still to this format, I think. I think we're going to see a lot more cycling as to, you know, what kind of wears the mantle of best choice for any tournament. I think red's going to stay at the top of the heap throughout this entire format. The cards are just too powerful. Um, It'll always be a pressure on the format, but that's good. It keeps things in line. It keeps things fair, keeps things from being bogged down in just endless mid-range wars. So I like that the format is kind of doing this weird rotation around Mono Red while Mono Red just sits at the top without really being a overly detrimental influence on the format. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's it's just like the litmus test for the format. And even even then, it's just like the deck is so good that it could still win, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think going into Memphis, Mono Red is definitely going to be the deck to beat. Like, if, if you look at the magic online results as a whole like on mtg goldfish or whatever it's like okay mono red is the most popular deck at 11 percent. the next one is red green aggro at six percent which i think is dropping off grixis is dropping off and then there's also these things where there's like you know big red red black mardu like these are all just like iterations of mono red like mono red is going to be a huge part of memphis right Right. And you'd benefit yourself by not looking at things as mono red. You want to look at it as like Hazaret decks or Hazaret plus. Now it's kind of more Hazaret plus Rekindling Phoenix decks. Also, shout outs to us for nailing the best spec in this set by far. Like we absolutely called it. So, Well, by by us, you mean you. I mean, I, I had come around to Phoenix by the end of that episode, but... I, I also did not purchase them. Right, so. right. That's true. But we talked about purchasing them. So hopefully someone besides us listened to us. I mean, obviously we don't take our own advice, but maybe someone else out there got paid on the Rekindling Phoenix when we hyped it up. I did buy them on Magic Online for like 10 tickets. That's good. That's so. a good start. Yeah. Um, I, I got mine around the same, sold them at 20, and apparently I made a mistake. I, I don't know how to play the stock market these days, so... Oh man, I don't know. You should you should be happy whenever you get book a win, I guess right? So yeah, that's that's the the poker player's mentality, right? A win's a win. Yeah. Uh so mono red, big deal. Uh is is there a deck that just like straight up counters mono red? Like what is the absolute best thing you can be doing if all you want to do is beat up on red? I think people would tell you tokens, right? Like that that's kind of the answer you get a lot of the times. I don't know if I buy that. I think it's like good against mono red. I don't think there's anything that really crushes it. I mean, red is so adaptable at this point, right? It's kind of like this, they've gotten to the point with with their 15 sideboard cards, they're actually able to play like three different game plans, which is awesome. Like that's a really cool place for a deck to be in. You know, they have kind of this big Planeswalker plan and then there's the all flyers plan and then there's just the I'm a red beatdown deck plan. So having access to all that, it's very difficult to say anything has a really positive matchup because you can see how, you know, a deck like Tokens could certainly struggle against like Rekindling Phoenix, Glorybringer if they don't draw their Ixalan's Binding. Those are problematic cards for them. So yeah, I think think Red has enough flexibility that it's hard for any deck to say, yes, I murder Mono Red. That's kind of sad, man. We're supposed to be able to help people you know, spike Grand Prix and whatnot. Well, I mean, we're doing so by identifying that point. I mean, I, I, I wish I had the easy answer where you just play this deck. And, and look, there is a deck that is certainly like 70-30 versus Mono Red. I'm sure it just beats absolutely nothing else, right? That's the problem. If you tailor your entire deck to Mono Red, you can certainly beat it. Um, but I, I think you're pushed so far into doing so that it's not even benefit. There, there's no benefit to exploring that avenue because the Red deck is able to be so diverse. It would just demand your entire deck be devoted to beating it, so... Yeah, so I've been playing these white beatdown decks mostly just because, like, they look fun, and I have experience with basically everything else. Like, I've played Mono Red, I've played, like, Grixis and Black Green and Red Black Aggro and all this nonsense. So I was like, well, these white decks are things that I never actually picked up, so I'll try them. And 
I've been winning against Mono Red, and like surprisingly, I've been winning against Mono Red with like the Auras deck, like the Hexproof, whatever, whatever deck. I don't know. It's just like I go wide. They generally stick a Phoenix or a Hazaret or both, and you just try and like beat down through them. That that has worked like a reasonable amount of the time, and my sideboard right now is like not even good for it. You know, I'm like four matches into this league, and I would just already change a bunch of stuff. I kind of don't know the shape of the Auras deck right now. Like, where are you getting... Do you have specific cards for the red matchup? Is, is there any kind of cool tech that's really pushing it in your favor? Or is it just like naturally the archetype lines up well against mono red? So Ruiner has 5-0'd a bunch. Their list has gotten posted a bunch. And I last time I checked, they had nine trophies. And they're basically just like playing the same deck from what I can tell. So it's uh, four Sacred Cat, uh, four Legion's Landing... To get the party started, those are obviously like pretty good ways to start against Mono sure. Red. Uh, two two Sky Marcher Aspirants, which are not very good, but you kind of just want to be you know doing stuff with your mana early. Uh, four Dono Vanguard, four Sram. Sram basically always dies. Three Aether Sphere Harvester, three Sram's Expertise, three Slippery Scoundrel, and then the the auras that you would expect like White and Blue Cartouche and Curious Obsession, which called that one. Uh, yes, you did. Credit, credit, or credit too. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, SRAM's expertise basically turns on uh, City's Blessing for the Scoundrel, which gives you like a reasonable threat against, you know, not just Monterey, but like decks in general. And then like Sheffit Dunes is kind of the the way that you clean up. And a lot of the lists only have two Dunes, and I would very, very much like to just be playing four. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you could hear me typing in the background, but I had to Google Slippery Scoundrel. This is, <laughs> this is not a card nice. I've seen before. Nice. Yeah, this is this is a cool little pickup. There is a, a lifelink aura in the format. Is that being played in the list or just not necessary? I have three in my sideboard and it's okay. huge. Like the the red decks can't kill a Danto Vanguard. Right. I mean, they can like keep hitting you for four with it, right? But like if you Squire's Devotion on the Vanguard, when whenever they block, like you're just breaking even, you know? So like you basically put them in the abyss, the removal doesn't do anything, and you have a bunch of other incidental life gain to like actually keep your life total kind of mm-hmm. high. And I think if the games go long and you don't stick like a cartouche of knowledge or like some way to actually like break through, like eventually they're going to have enough like card advantage type things like Phoenixes and Hazrets, like just big things that they'll, they'll eventually overpower you. So you need the Shepard Dunes to actually like close the okay. game. So did you just know the answer to this question and you've been withholding it from us? Is, is this the deck to beat Mono Red? See, that's the thing. I don't think this deck should actually crush Mono Red. I just don't. Because, like, your game one is kind of bad. Curious Obsession and, like, Scar- Sky Marcher Aspirant are just, like, not cards against them. SRAM is basically not a card. Expertise into Slippery Scoundrel is good, but Scoundrel on its own is really bad. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I should not be winning a lot of these games, but I just am. I'm just, like, uh, the deck feels super underpowered also. But at the same time, I'm just, like, you know, using all of these, like, I'm MacGyvering them, just, like, using rubber bands and, like, paper clips to just beat up on these red decks with all their Mythic Rares. Right, to, to mush it together. That's interesting. The newest list that Ruiner 5 would with had Authority of the Consoles in the sideboard, which I didn't even have. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that would help immensely because, like, it lets you attack into Rekindling Phoenix and then uh, it can't block again immediately on the next turn, which is really nice. Right, that would certainly clean up a lot of issues. Yeah, and then it just, you know, negates, like, any sort of haste threat that they have. But yeah, Squire's Devotion is pretty solid. Authority of the Consoles would help the red matchup a ton. And then as long as you have enough, like, Strand's Expertises and Sheffit Dunes, I think you're in a, a pretty good shape. And then the rest of your sideboard can basically just be whatever. Like, Fragmentize does not seem particularly good against me. I boarded it in some of the red decks that have, like, a bunch of vehicles. And uh, obviously hitting Bowman Career is fine, but, like, you have so many tokens that it really doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the Gideons and the counter spells are basically just for mid-range and control, and Baffling End is fine, but whatever. So, I don't know. The, de- the deck is actually pretty good, and it's, like, way more resilient than you would think. I'll have to pick up some games with it. It's, I mean, you're, you're doing a good job selling it right now. I, I like the idea of just like avoiding all of this nonsense, playing a completely different game. To that effect, I, I'm starting to see some Pummeler lists pop up. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and these Pummeler lists are, I think they're well built. I, I think they're kind of on to the right things to be focusing on. Uh, usually straight blue-green, playing copies of Hadana's Climb, Cartouche of Knowledge, getting into the air. Um, I might even go as far as as having some one with the winds because I think that's just how you stop 
dealing with all this nonsense and, you know, take to the skies and, and win the game that way. But uh, these lists look really interesting. I, I could see this being a successful strategy going forward because the format's in a kind of very hyper-focused place right now where there's very clear threats it's addressing. Um, and just not playing the game that everyone else is playing is always going to be a good tack to take in, in those type of situations. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the, the white-blue deck is going to have problems with sweepers when, you know, people figure out and start doing that. Uh, I do think the white-black vampire deck has legs also, but it might just be... It's either a good version or a bad version of the white-blue deck. I'm not sure yet. But Bristling Hydra strikes me as a threat that is very well-positioned, assuming you can give it evasion. Yep. Just, like, having this big thing that's, like, untouchable against all of Raska's Contempts and stuff seems really nice, but, like... Pummeler itself and like Sage of Shalia's Claim or whatever is just like, come on. Not great cards, for sure. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think really the gem here is Hadana's Climb a- as the card that needs to be utilized, especially in conjunction with Bristling Hydra. That's such a potent combination. Is there a better shell for it than this? I mean, maybe it's just like something closer to a Winding Constrictor deck that's splashing for Hadana's Climb. I, I don't know, but I like the Cartouches too. Like that's a really nice approach. So maybe it's closer to you know, a, a teamerish list that's just playing the good creatures and, and is able to take to the skies something to explore. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that sort of strat is a lot better if there's a lot of green decks in the format. And it seems like green is just kind of getting beat up right now. Yeah, Almost absent from the format. So Adonis climb doesn't really strike me as a breaker. It's just like, maybe there are some token decks, maybe there are some green decks and then that would position you well against them. But you can't beat mono red that way, you know, like right. just say, sages and hadana's climbs and stuff like you like teamer is reasonable confiscation queue is hella good yeah that's a card that has not seen much play as as of late and certainly feels a little underplayed in the format i i get it like it's hard to kind of steal scarab gods when your deck isn't making as much energy anymore but it does seem like there should be some confiscation queue somewhere in the format yeah i agree i mean one one of the uh five o's from last week at some point was a teamer list but I don't know. It was, it was more so just like Branch Walker, Jade Light Ranger into Champion of Wits, which I like, but... Right. Yeah, that's probably where the bread was buttered. That's a combination I've found a lot of success with. I think kind of regardless of what's around it, that'll win you some games on its own. Yeah, and I, I really like Explore with the various Eternalized things, but yep. I just I just don't think that, like similarly to Hadana's Climb, that's just like not really the fight that you want to be fighting right now. I could see that. Yeah, the format is moving on different axes right now, so interesting stuff for sure it's certainly like kind of pales in comparison or i guess shines in comparison to the last format we played where it's like oh i changed this one card in my teamer deck and you know i had a lot of fun doing two-hour episodes on just teamer but (laughs) i'm kind of more into this where there's interesting evolutions to be seen every week yeah it is it is crazy because it's like all of these decks basically just have a bunch of bad cards in them and they just like power through them no it's i don't know just like martyr of dusk and like fanatical firebrand i guess is fine but like i don't know man just some of some of these cards i'm just not very excited to cast and then you're like rekindling phoenix and it's like oh god damn like that that's a magic card right yeah well i we're still in the phase of trying to make things work right there's still some of that going on where people want their kind of cute ideas and honestly i i think this kind of way of listing the 5-0 decks is encouraging that to some extent because you're seeing success with these absolutely insane list these really goofy lists dude absolutely Um, and i i've been saying that for a while it's just like if you give me more ideas to work with i i will do that you know but if all you show me is like teamer and monored okay i guess i'll play those right i can't think of like black green ramp with our promise that has like nothing to ramp to and the random you know wish diabolic tutor card like my brain does not work that way right i get what you're saying yeah i I mean i don't want to talk about it every single week but this is an amazing change and has totally kind of not only changed my desire to play the game but i think it's also improving our cast a lot for the better like having all this stuff to talk about every week is just awesome to be able to explore all this data and see what's out there really enjoying it so good change yeah thumbs up i've i've been playing more magic online than i used to and same same i i'm supposed to be like packing my stuff you know i'm supposed to be like moving two blocks over or whatever and I have to finish that in like a week. But instead, I'm just like, eh, like, let's see how this like white blue hexproof deck is, you know? Right. I was I was checking my work schedule this week to be like, what days could I potentially call out and just jam, jam turbo depths all day? Like, there's got to be some, <laughs> right? So good. I, that's sweet. I, I'm always happy when magic's in a good place. So 
Yeah, so I was initially thinking like, oh, uh, maybe I would play one of these like white decks, but no, nah, maybe I, I could go back to blue block control for this weekend. I can see it. Yeah, I would certainly like your input on on the list. I, you know, it's a deck you have a lot of experience with. Um, you're kind of in tune with what it's trying to do, and and I do think that the lists are a little bit unrefined at this point. It's just kind of like holdovers from the last format and adding a few random cards here or there. But there's probably some like wholesale changes you could make uh, that would be towards the list benefit. So I want to explore some of those a little bit and, you know, keep the core intact, but really monkey around with what's going on in some of the other slots. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I, I mostly like what people are doing. I would just try to, I don't know, change things slightly. Like I never really liked glimmer over illumination and I'm not sure if that is right or wrong. Uh, the main deck consigned to oblivion, I think should just be a sideboard card. And I definitely want to be able to go up to four Moment of Cravings and four Contempts and two Golden Demise against Red. Yeah, that sounds right. I'll say that I appreciated the Consigned to Oblivion a lot in the games I've played. I know what you're saying. There's a lot of decks where it's a pretty mopey card and you're really not getting the rate. But I think the flexibility of it, you know, the fact that you're probably maxing on your Torrential Gear Hulks. I do think four Gear Hulks is correct in the list now. A lot of little extra value there. And I, I found uses for it in virtually every matchup. So could it be something better in a lot of matchups? Sure. But the fact that it's never dead, it has this kind of weird application that you can't get anywhere else. For me, it merits its inclusion as a one-up for the time being. Well, it's it's dead to me when you're a resource light, right? So like either you've mulliganed or like you have a fatal push essence scatter that don't line up against your opponent. It's just like really bad to also have this other card that doesn't really do anything. Mm, and I will say that this deck, I think, is it doesn't mulligan well. Really struggles when it's playing on less than seven cards because you're you're incentivized to hit all your land drops. You don't really have like that recouping mechanism that you had previously uh, in things like you know Sphinx's Revelation, where you'll just eventually get to the point where you recoup your resources. You really have to hit the six mana threshold where you're using Torrential Gear Hulk to, before you can start pulling real far ahead on resources. So if you ever miss a land drop, it, it's kind of hard to regain the resource loss that you incur when you're mulliganing. So I get what you're saying. If, if it's exasperating that problem, maybe there's some grounds for excluding it. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it, it just looks like that was a thing that like Chirilane, uh played with pre-ban and played with at the WMC and stuff. And it just kind of caught on and everyone's mm-hmm. playing it. And if there's like a lot of God Pharaoh's gift and stuff, sure, I get it. Like, but there's not, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to beat like Hazaret and Rekindling Phoenix by just like contempting them and consigning them is not a great answer. Right. I mean, it's, it's been very crucial for me in like the tokens matchup, you know, getting your torrential gear Hulk out for, from under an Ixalan's binding for a turn is usually pretty game breaking. Yeah. I can, um, I can see that for sure. I mean, it, if, if you definitely want a card to be able to beat those decks, then yes, play it. Yeah, but it could be unnecessary right now. I get what you're saying. So, you know, the metagame will tell. Like I said, I could see people kind of picking up tokens in the coming weeks. Maybe that'll prove to be true. If so, I would leave it. If not, maybe it can hit the sideboard for the game. Yeah, tokens is on the uptick for sure. And it it could be like Memphis could be one of those things like uh, U.S. Nationals this year where tokens was just kind of like surprisingly everywhere. Like if that that wouldn't blow my mind. It was just like tokens always seemed like a deck that only like Sam Black and, you know, the people who would like jam Lantern on Moto would play, but like it actually just showed up a lot in real life, which I didn't expect. Yep. Uh, I, I think that's kind of, I'll say the opposite. I expected it to be in the kind of those large numbers. That was the call I was making prior to nationals. Maybe not to the extent it was played, um, but I thought it would have more success. It really didn't shine through. Uh, obviously you kind of took the day along with Oliver into the the finals, but It'll be interesting to see what happens this week in Memphis. I, I wish I could go. I'm really into standard right now, and I'm very upset I can't make it down there. Well, if you if you can't go there, you should come to Texas. Uh, well, <laughs> I will say that that is an even more difficult trip for me to make. So yeah. I would also love to be in Texas. Um, you know, Memorial tournaments are a really great time to kind of celebrate what we love about the game and you know think about the people who we're there for. So it would be fun to make either one of the tournaments. Unfortunately, it's not in the cards for this weekend. Word. Okay, so modern, I suppose. Yeah, we got to touch on it. Things are changing in the modern landscape. Are they, though? I don't actually know. I know that people are trying a bunch of stuff, and I've seen a bunch of stuff that looks good and a bunch of stuff that looks pretty bad. 
Uh, a lot of bad stuff out there for sure. And that's kind of one of the problems here is that it's hard to say whether these cards are finding success or if everyone's just playing them. And, you know, by dumb luck, some people are going to 5-0 with their kind of really bad lists, especially on the Jace side of things. There's a lot of bad Jace lists out there. Um, and, and Jace will carry you through um, some problems and, you know, mask some real weaknesses in your deck. It's hard to say what's finding success right now. You know, that's the drawback of this method of presenting data. But there's certainly a lot of interesting ideas bouncing around. Well, the great thing about the way this data is displayed for modern is that the decks generally vary by enough cards that like even like two Jun decks might just get posted. Right, right. There is some of that going on. And that kind of has enabled one of the big takeaways I've had since the unbanning of Blood Raid Elf and Jace. And that's seems like Zoo is back. Uh, Zoo might be a player in this metagame, which is not the change I thought that Blood Raid Elf would inspire. But here we are. There's a lot of Zoo lists out there. There's Tribal Flame Zoo lists. There's Big Naya Zoo lists. There's kind of uh, disruption heavy Zoo lists. But Wild Nakatl is showing up in Modern again. That's kind of exciting. I, I like when Wild Nakatl is a player. Yeah, I, I love Nakatl. There's even like this weirdo Naya Eldritch Evolution Will Leaf right. deck. Just like value evolutions. Kind of crazy. Yeah, Bloodbraid into Renegade Rallyer is nice. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of card advantage in these Zoo decks now. They're able to kind of recoup pretty quickly, which is uh, something they were sorely missing before. They didn't have the, like, if you wanted the raw efficiency, you should just be playing Burn, right? There was no reason to kind of play Zoo before because Burn was a better version of Zoo, I think, for the most part. With a couple, you know, added wrinkles thrown in, some added weaknesses to things like Leyland of Sanctity. But on the whole, I think Burn was just better Zoo. But with the addition of Bloodbraid Elf, Zoo is finding this other angle to play and i think it's doing it well and, and finding success right now that's what it looks like i mean you see cards like loxodon smiter showing up and it's like well that card doesn't seem particularly good it's just like the the overall shell like the game plan of what the deck is doing is good right just big bodies yeah that list is, is really interesting the one well i mean there may be several loxodon smiter but the one i'm looking at right now contains four inquisition of kozilek two colligans command just really able to go into the late game, be disruptive, generate some card advantage. It's got Grim Flyers in it. You know, so card selection going on. Really cool looking list for sure. And I remember actually testing things like this when Nakata first was unbanned. Yeah. Um, I, I tried to slot it into Jun list for Pro Tour Valencia. Didn't really find any success with it, but but these decks are kind of a new breed and they look really interesting. Yeah, Bloodbraid at the top end is you know, new and good. And also having Wild Nakato being able to pair with Fatal Push is not a thing that we've really seen. Like you could have been doing it before, but like there was no reason, right? So like Nakato actually just has a lot of ways to just keep hitting them. Right. The the removals ticked up a lot and as far as efficiency. And, you know, now you're getting like Nakato next turn, Nakato removal spell. Like that's a brutal start. Very difficult for any deck to beat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we might actually be in a position where there are enough matchups where the consistent uh, threat of damage from the creatures is slightly better than the Lava Spikes. I, th- I think so. I, I think that's the way things are trending right now anyway. Um, at least it merits exploration, where for a long time it's just like Zoo was not even on the table. Now I would certainly put in some reps with it and see what it's got to offer. Yeah, I mean, there's also just a lot of collective brutalities in the format, which could be another reason why... The Coddle's making a comeback. Right. Benefit from the larger creature size, not as impacted by the gain to life clause. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Collective Brutality is top five most card played in modern at this point. So adapting to that makes a lot of sense as as far as aggro goes. It just maybe maybe the burn decks aren't finding the success they found before. And and this is the next evolution if you want to be aggressive. Yeah, which is weird to me because a lot of these decks look like both of the Jace and Bloodbraid Elf variety look very weak to burn. Yeah, and we're saying this too at the same time where like there's the modern challenge, which first and second place were burn decks. So I realized that like there's there's some flaw to this take. It's very difficult to anticipate a modern metagame. Like it's it's hard to suss it out and figure out exactly what's going on. It does seem like Burn is still having a lot of success. Obviously, John Stern in the finals of the last GP with Burn, pre-Bloodbury Jace, but but you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of room for Burn in the format. 
uh, it's hard to craft a narrative out of this. I'll say that. Whereas you're able to look at a standard turn and be like, oh, this is what's going on. Modern, it's really hard to pin down like that. Okay, so the top eight of the modern challenge was uh, the two burn decks in the finals, Grixis Death Shadow with no Jaces. Mistake. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> we'll get to that, I'm sure. Uh, Grixis Control with Jace, but like no clock. And Living End, some weirdo pseudo taking turns, Jace deck. Black Red Hollow one with Edge of Autumn, which I think is awesome. Oh, nice ad. That's really cool. Yeah, and there's nothing fancy, like no flagstones or anything. It's just, it's in there for the additional Street Wraith for Hollow One. Yep. Yeah, very cool. And then Mono Green Tron. So yeah, Burn just kind of annihilates all of these decks. Right. Once it made it to the top eight, it was very clear we were headed towards the Burn Finals. And there are some brutalities, you know. Tron deck is black-green, but only has, like, Thoughtseize. Yeah, you you need more than this to be successful against Burn. I, I, yeah. I think you need Brutality to have any real shot. Yep, uh, Hollow One deck has two main, but none on the board. The Taking Turns deck has like three timely reinforcements in the sideboard, which they're splashing for. Uh, Living End deck basically has nothing. And then the Grixis decks have two Brutalities each. So yeah. Pretty thin. Yep. And I, I do think, again, that Burn just kind of like lines up pretty well against the Bloodbraid and Jace decks, but it is possible that uh, if there are a lot of brutalities or a lot, if there's like this emphasis on early interaction to slow the game down so that you can get to your Bloodbraid and your Jace, then it makes sense why having like 20 threats as opposed to 12 might be a a better way to go about things, especially since like Bloodbraid actually closes the game very quickly, which is a thing that like black green decks didn't really have against burn. Right. So if they have Bloodbraid and a bunch of Brutalities, I would much rather just be like trying to fight them with Smiters, you know? Kind of to that effect of, of Bloodbraid closing the game very quickly. An interesting list that has benefited a lot from the addition of Bloodbraid. It's not like I think this deck is good, but if any deck got a huge upgrade from Bloodbraid, it's probably Ponza. Oh, yeah. Having access to the consistent Stone Rains, like just way more Stone Rains in your deck and the clock where you just kill them very quickly after you've obliterated their lands. This deck got a big upgrade. I don't want to be playing Ponza at any events, but I have to at least consider it. It might be scarily well positioned going forward, and it may just you know surprise everyone and be the correct call for one of these GPs coming up. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, like Efro has played that deck in the past, and he seemed to think it was fine. And I generally like the idea of it, like you know, Blood Moon into like Stormbreath Dragon and Inferno Titan stuff like that. But like, if you Blood Moon. And they fetch the planes and they like path your Inferno Titan. Like the game just goes on for forever. And eventually they draw an answer to Blood Moon, right? Like they either draw a basic lands so they can start playing magic or they draw like an actual out to it. And Bloodbraid just like increases your threat density, increases the consistency of your deck. Like even if it hits like a mana dork, it just means that your Inferno Titan is coming down a turn sooner. Like Bloodbraid is nice. Yeah, I kind of talked a lot this week in in various places about people overestimating their blood moons like blood moon does not win you the game against virtually any archetype it buys you time and you need to maximize that time blood braid does a really nice job of doing that and really accelerating the clock for these type of decks while managing like outs right like you've drawn your forest naturally well now i just blood braided into another stone rain blew up your natural forest you're never going to get to abrupt decay or whatever you were relying upon to get out of the blood moon really you know giving a lot of extra oomph to this archetype but i beat a bunch of blood moons playing tron you you have to combine your blood moons with an efficient clock or you're really not getting anything out of them yeah absolutely okay what about what about jace how do you feel about jace do you like you like jace or blood braid uh i don't know where i fall yet i i think i think blood braid's a little the pieces have come together a little bit more quickly for Bloodbraid. I look at a lot of these lists and I'm like, oh yeah, this looks like a nice upgrade or, oh, I can see how this enables this archetype. What's being done with Jace right now, it feels like a lot of mistakes are being made. And I don't think that the Jace archetypes are being maximized yet. We're kind of just porting Jace into old decks. Jace is going to succeed at its highest level when people take the initiative to actually build around Jace, to emphasize the card, to to play to its strengths. And, you know, like I said, Jace is a, an insanely powerful magic card and it's covering up a lot of mistakes in deck building right now. 
but there has to be some optimization done. Some people are get, starting to get there, but there's a lot of ground to cover still. So, but like pile of removal spells plus Jace the Mind Sculptor does not excite you? No, not not in the least. <laughs> Me either, man. <laughs> Just not not what these decks were missing. Like it's not the missing piece. Is it a powerful magic card? Yes, absolutely. But there's there's no new angle being presented to these decks by having Jace at this point. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you could always play some way to close the game, some card drawer, and obviously Jace is a lot better than that and does a bunch of different things, but for the most part, like that is the role that Jace is fulfilling. And I think that there are Noble Hierarch Jace decks. There are Thoughtseize Jace decks, which basically have been non-existent, which kind of blows my mind. And then there's the possibility of slotting Jace into like a combo control deck, which has kind of happened in some spots, but not to the extent that I'm excited to see. The thing that offends me the most, I guess, is people's use of Disrupting Troll. Talk about why you hate Disrupting Troll. It's actively bad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're just completely blinded by the existence of Force of Will and pretending this card is something that it's not, essentially. Yeah, so like... You, you tap out for Jace, right? And you're just like, oh man, I hope my opponent doesn't kill this. And you force a will to maybe like stop a Dreadbore or something. That doesn't necessarily always work. And in the games where you don't have Jace and you don't like, you're not able to play Jace on like a clean board, your disrupting shoal is so bad. Right. It's not like the format really is congealed around a specific mana cost either, right? Like it's not like it's not like the games are all about your one drops. Like things go much further than that. There's a a lot of diversity in converted mana costs. Um, It's kind of difficult to plan around what you're going to need. I I don't know. I think people have fooled themselves into thinking disrupting troll is a card that it's, it's actually not. Yeah. I mean, the list that I've seen that have four shoal also have four Jace, which is good. Like if you're going to play four shoal, you should definitely maximize it. And I think, Jace does a pretty reasonable job at doing that. But even then, like, if you're playing for Jace, like, I, I don't want the same amount of shoals as I have Jace's because I don't want to draw multiples of this card. Like, I want one for the turn that I play a Jace, right? But realistically, what you should be trying to do is, like, slow the game down and play Jace on an empty board or be very proactive and force your opponent to deal with you. And then you get to play Jace when you're slightly ahead. Right. All these decks that are like, oh, I'm just going to like use Jace and like hope it catches me up. That's so hard to do, especially if they like play a Bloodbraid Elf, you know, like how are you actually going to deal with like their stuff in play and like the incoming Bloodbraid Elf, right? Yeah. It's like, do you not remember how we approached Jace previously? Like there, there was a reason why Stoneblade was like the best deck of all time. Or, or maybe Twin Blade, if you're of that camp where you think that was the best deck of all time. But it was about presenting a proactive plan in the early turns, not just sitting around and waiting to play Jace. And even if you look at Jace's application in something like Legacy, with the exception of, I guess, Miracles would be the only exception. Although I would argue that in its own way, Miracles was even doing something proactive by going top into counterbalance. Like that was very much a proactive combo to kind of wrap up the game and using Jace. Um, when you've already forced them to spend a lot of resources trying to get out from under that combo. Correct. You know, and your one mana wrath that you also have. But yeah, getting on board is the way to succeed with Jace and and pushing your advantage and putting your opponent into uncomfortable spots. You know, people who have been around me for a long period of time know that one of my favorite decks I've ever built was in an old extended format. And I, I, I called it Pester Twin at the time. I was kind of like one of the first people to apply the Splinter Twin combo to a deck, but it was a Jace, Bloodbraid, Noble Hierarch, uh, Vendillion Click, Pestermite Splinter Twin deck, which obviously had a Splinter Twin kill, but also was just like this fine aggro deck that could go Noble Hierarch into Vendillion Click and start clocking you for four or play an early Bloodbraid Elf into Vendillion Click. And then, you know, you've presented this really efficient clock to go along with the Jace. And then Jace just comes out and absolutely closes the door. Jace, when he's doing everything for you, when he can remove a blocker so you can swing for lethal, um, when he's closing out your opponent from finding a removal spell for, you know, the Pestermite that you're about to make infinite. That, that's the Jace I want to see in the modern format. And there's definitely room for it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see some of these decks popping up and it seems like kind of accidental maybe where it's just like, oh, well, I want to put like Jace and Bloodbraid in the same deck. So I guess I play Noble Hierarch and I guess I play Tarmogoyf. And it's like, yeah, that's that's a fine shell. Right. You know, like that is going to do things. And then people are like, oh, let's put it in like this blue red 
Pestermite deck, and then someone else was like, no, let's let's play Noble Hierarch Bounding Crasses. That is the correct team. answer. Much closer. Yeah. Much closer to the correct answer. That That is actually getting there. And the things that I don't really like seeing are Jace trying to, like, revive dead combos. You know, just, like, decks that have been proven to not work. But, like, the blue-red Kiki-Jiki decks have already been pretty close, and... We've seen teamer versions that are beat downy with uh, Noble Hierarch and Bounding Crassus, and that's the exact type of place you want, Jace. Yep, totally agree. Th- there's still a lot of room for improvement in these Jace decks. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the Jace with like no real way to get initiative or traction on the battlefield, and Jace with just like a bunch of reactive cards. Jace that is trying to hide behind like a singleton thing in the ice and a bunch of disrupting shoals. Like those are things that are not going to succeed long-term in modern. Right. And kind of the, the narrative I'm seeing across the, the Twitter sphere right now is that Jace is underwhelming people. I think the question that should be asked is how are you building your Jace decks? Um, Dude, I, I, I hate this so much. I, ha- I hate it when people build you know, some deck and they like play it and it's just like, oh, well, I lost my five games. Therefore, this deck is unplayable. And it's like, no, like your deck is not, you know, consistent of just the stuff that you have right now. You can change cards in your deck to make it better. Right. So, yeah, people, people are like, oh, I, I built Jace Blue White Control and I lost a bunch. Yeah, obviously. No kidding. Can you, there, there are 30 different decks that have been posted on Magic Online that are playing Jace right now. Like, you think one of them is good, or do you think that your experience means that all of these Jace decks are bad? Right, right. And and look, there's two sides to the coin. I do think Jace is a... Fu- I, I'm still of the opinion Jace will prove to be a fine card in modern. Like, it's not going to completely unbalance the format. That being said, there's way more powerful things than we that we could be doing than we currently are. That's basically my point. It, it's it's yes. going to get to a better place. I still don't see Jace getting out of control. I saw something like... People also have been taking the tack that, oh, Jace is everywhere. The format's ruined. I don't get that sense whatsoever. You know, people are complaining that Jace is showing up in every deck. Well, people are just making mistakes. <laughs> like, that's all that's happening right now. That, and people haven't gotten to cast Jace in like seven years. Time. Yeah, everyone wants to play with Jace right now. Absolutely. You want to see if your Jace idea is good. So that's why you're seeing so many Jaces. Right. And then over time, you know, that's it's going to equalize. And for the tournament this weekend that I'm going to, like it is, it is modern, and I don't think that people are going to be like, "Oh, I wonder how my Jace deck is going to do." Let's play it. You know, like this is a tournament with a bunch of money on the line and everything. I think people are going to bring their best decks mm-hmm. for the most part. I feel like Jace Jace's presence will be normalized. I agree. But for Magic Online right now, yeah, obviously everyone's trying it. It's like this brand new shiny thing that you can do, and it's like a sweet thing to do. Yeah, I find myself a little sad that I, I sold my Jaces not that long ago because I want to play like a million Jace decks and I'm just playing them against myself. I don't I don't have them on Magic <laughs> Online right now. So it, it's scratching my Jace itch a little bit. I'm sure I'll get some competitive Jace play uh, sometime soon. But unfortunately, I haven't I haven't been out there in the queues chasing people. That's fine. More time to make Merit Lages, So Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you got some legacy action in already with that blue-red deck. Right, right. Okay, so... You, what if, what if you were playing like the Hunter Burton thing this weekend and you had a modern tournament, would you actually just play zoo? No, I'd play Tron. Smart. Yeah. I I mean, like you have to show me you can beat Tron and I don't know if people are putting in the effort. I also think like the targets off Tron, despite the fact that I just put four copies in the top eight of the last modern GP. And I, I kind of am into the deck right now. I mean, people who are in the game Discord are, are sick of me. Like, basically, any conversation they're having about modern, I just pop up and post a picture of Karn and just be like discussional. <laughs> yeah. Sure, they've had it with yeah. me at this point. But <laughs> I, I'm having a love affair with Karn right now. I would Tron if I was serious about winning. If you were to force me to be like, okay, you have to play Bloodbraid Elf or Jace, uh, the Bloodbraid Elf I would, deck I would explore would be Ponza. The Jace deck I would explore would be quote-unquote fairies. The only fairies I would play would probably be four Bitter Blossom, four Spellstarter Sprite, a lot of disruption, Jace on the top end. One of the Lilianas, I'm not entirely sure which is going to be better in this shell. It's possible that Last Hope is actually the card you're looking for to recur your Spellstarter Sprites and Snapcaster Mages. Um, I, I want to give that a try, but I, I think there's some power there. The combination, you know, we talked about 
proactively getting on the board. Well, Bitter Blossom kind of does that at the lowest cost possible. Like you just play it on turn two, and for the rest of the game, you're proactively on the board. You're protecting your Jace. You're asserting a clock in the air. Um, so, so that's an idea I want to put some time into and really explore. One thing that I would say about uh, both fairies and maybe the Noble Hierarch decks, like Noble Hierarch Bounding Crassus, is like maybe it's time for Sword of Feast and Famine. Uh, very interesting. My list actually started with a Sword of Feast of Famine in the sideboard, but a Sword of Light and Shadow in the main deck. You know, maybe that's a little too cute and trying to find like a scalpel when you just want to hammer. But I, I like the life gain aspect that it brought to the table. Um, sure. I like the recursive Snapcaster Mages, uh, Spellstarter Sprites again. But I, I could see Feast and Famine being the correct sword. Fairies was never good as like this grindy long game deck, though. It was always better when it was functioning as a beatdown deck. Right. And I think I think Feast and Famine is just like obscenely powerful with Jace. So like if you're playing Jace plus creatures, I think, you know, Feast and Famine just like as a one or two of is probably completely reasonable. I could see that being the case. I remember old extended. There was a point where like four Feast and Famine, four sort of Feast and Famine were being played in the Fairies deck because it was that impactful to the archetype. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe we're heading in that direction again. Who knows? I mean, you just, you start with nothing, right? And then they're like, ah, do some stuff. And you're just like flashing spell stutter, untap, sword, kill your thing, play Jace, kill your other thing or whatever. And it's just like, it's sort of, it just, it doubles your mana. Yeah, things things escalate quickly. Basically free. Yeah, it just gets out of control. And if the games are slowing down and people are fighting for like battlefield advantage and it's all about like getting on board for Jace and everything, like sword could be nice. Yeah, could be. Yeah, man, uh, this this is good. I'm excited to see what happens this week because we have both a big standard and a big modern tournament, and obviously there's going to be like more deck list dumps and everything, so it's out of control. We need to we need more hours to talk about this stuff. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, I think we're going to have a, a pretty consistent run of doing casts. You know, you had a lot of tournaments over the past few months that really broke us up, but it seems like we have a good stretch now. We'll be able to cast uh, on a fairly regular basis, so that that's always good. Just until the next PT, and that's it. Right. And there's a lot of time until the next PT, right? We're still a couple months away at this point. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're good, man. Nice. Nice. Lots of All right. Sign us out. I can't let you go, Jerry. We we didn't do a question. We have to do a question. We're committed oh, at this point. God. One question. Right. Come on. All right. All right. I, I'll give you a Find softball. It. Do you want a softball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your stream schedule going to be? Oh God. I have an overlay made. Did I say that last week? I think so. I don't think you've done any streaming since you made this overlay, but you mentioned no, it. I haven't. And I don't know. It's tough. The The times where I've been motoing have been like, oh, like I can play a match here and a match there, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just, I haven't had a stretch of like five hours or whatever that I would really like to give it. So March 3rd is, I think, basically when things finally kind of normalized for me and hopefully i moved into my new place and all that stuff and there's not as much like crazy traveling like i'm in the middle of moving and i'm going to the hunter burton thing like thursday to monday this weekend so it's like it's pretty bad timing okay i think we can give you a pass for the time being but you guys have now heard you have heard a firm date jerry just said march 3rd so on march 3rd if Jerry's stream is not up i expect everyone who listens to this podcast to just bombard his twitter mentions March fifth, March fifth. You're already changing on us. You're already moving it back to that, That's the Monday. I thought I thought March third was the Monday. Okay, we'll we'll give you a pass this one time. The first Monday in March, and then just yell at me. Okay, definitely, definitely, just give me hell. You guys heard it. March fifth. Get on, Jerry. Where's the stream? I want streams now. Demand them. Deal. Nice. Okay, now you can sign us out. That's a that's a wrap. Oh, I have to sign us out now. We could do it together. Do you want to do like a one, two, three? That's game. Oh, man, we haven't. What if we go one, two, three, and then I just don't say anything? I'll feel really left out. Now I'm now I'm not going to say anything. We might end this show without a sign-off. <laughs> like we've reached a Mexican standoff. All right. Okay. You ready? Okay. One, two, three. That's, that's game. game. Look at that God, trust. you waited wow. for me. That's, that's No, I didn't. I went, I went right away. Good luck.